I went from hating the world and everybody in it to getting the, the total opposite welcoming and love and acceptance. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was swimmer Cleet Keller. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. Each week, we find the very best athletes and speakers, and we ask them all about the biggest Olympic talking points. Olympic Channel podcast. First off, Happy New Year from everyone at the Olympic Channel podcast. And how can we start off 2019 like no other? Well, here at the Olympic Channel podcast, we were lucky enough to speak to some Olympians who have had some incredibly inspirational stories. So we thought we'd gather a few of the best up and give ourselves a little booster to get through January. No matter what it is that you want to achieve, hopefully there will be something in this podcast that will help you find that motivation to get out there and do it. So let's start with Missy Franklin. The five-time Olympic champion took the world by storm at London 2012 age 17. She won four gold medals and finished the year as the FINA Swimmer of the Year for the second year running. But Rio 2016 wasn't as easy. She did go away with a gold medal from a relay, but otherwise she wasn't happy with her performance. Missy says her motivation for Rio was all wrong. And in the week leading up to Christmas in 2018, she retired from swimming. She said, I was able to stay true to who I was as much as in failure and disappointment as I had been in winning and being the best in the world. As Tullock sat down with Missy earlier this year to talk about finding the right reasons to achieve your goals. Olympic Channel Podcast. A lot of people, whether they realize they're doing it or not, are going to put expectations on you and put pressure on you. And that was huge for me going into 2016 because going into 2012, I didn't really have any of that. Like I was just kind of thought it was like the new up and comer, like let's see what she does kind of thing. And, and going into Rio, I almost felt like I had failed before it even began because it was like if I somehow didn't live up to that same performance that I gave in 2012, it would be a disappointment. So, I mean, already going into one of the biggest mates of your life, feeling like you've failed, I mean, it was just was heart-wrenching and, you know, so much self-reflection and, you know, this long process after that where I really had to work through, like, I really, you know, went in there with other people's goals and that's not why I do this. That's not why I swim and that's not who I am. And so kind of figuring out how to get back to, to me and to my goals and to what I'm working towards and, and seeing how I can apply that moving forward in ways that I can kind of avoid listening to the outside noise a little bit. For you personally, you've obviously gone through that cycle and now you're going into, or are you going into a new phase of who you are having gone through, um, I guess, ups and downs? Have you rediscovered a bit more about yourself and can we call this, you know, you mounting a comeback? You know, I, I definitely have discovered so much about myself. I've grown so much in the past several years and, you know, it's it's kind of hard. I. I don't really like the word comeback because I think, again, with that is pressure and expectation that, okay, you're having a comeback, like that means you're going to have to be as good as you once were. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, like I've already made a comeback. Like in my mind, the fact that I'm still swimming is already my comeback. And the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm still here and enjoying it and loving it and fighting for it, like that is my comeback already. And whether that takes me to a third Olympic Games or not, like, I'm so proud of myself for that. 
And so I think for me, it's, it's really coming back this time and, and doing it for me and for no one else. And I have no idea what to expect. I really don't. Um, you know, I'm training so hard and I haven't competed since 2016. So like, don't really know where I'm at. Like there's still a lot of things that are up in the air and I know that I still have so much work to, to be done and to be put in. But like, I kind of love that. I kind of love just doing it because I want to be doing it and not necessarily knowing, you know, exactly where I am or even where I need to be, but just knowing that this is where I am and I'm happy with that. You sound at peace with it, at peace with what was like kind of a hectic time with 2016 and where you are now. I am, absolutely. And, and it took a lot to get there. Um, I don't by any stretch want to make it seem like I went through a really hard time and was like, oh, I'm at peace with it now. <laughs> there, there were some really, really tough times and there were times that were really hard and times that I thought I would never get in a pool again and times where, you know, I, I really had to lean on, on so many people that, that never left my side. And, you know, to be here now, I've really experienced that you know, with the, the lowest of lows also comes the highest of highs and experiencing, you know, sadness and disappointment on a level you've never experienced also allows you to experience happiness and joy on a level that you've never experienced either. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. So Jordan Weber was all around world champion in 2011 in gymnastics. When the preliminaries were over in that event at London 2012, she was in fourth place. USA had filled their quota. She didn't advance. Was she upset? Of course. Did she dwell on her disappointment? She came home from London 2012 with an Olympic gold medal. Her performance in the team event was incredible. She's now coaching at UCLA and Weber is a big supporter of being part of a team and believing in something bigger than yourself. Scott Bregman started by asking her about her individual performance at London. Olympic Channel Podcast. I didn't have a bad day. I just had an okay day. Um, I had a stress fracture in my shin at the time, so I didn't feel 100% prepared. I, I couldn't do as many numbers in the gym. But once I got out on the competition floor, my adrenaline took over. So I don't feel like that was a big component of that day. Um, but I remember... You know, on beam, I wobbled three or four times. That was very uncharacteristic of me. And then on floor, I went out of bounds. And just from those few mistakes, I, I remember at the end of the competition, looking up at the scoreboard and seeing my name in fourth place, which is not bad. Fourth in the whole world, that's, that's amazing. But we obviously have the two per country rule. Um, and USA is always just so dominant. And I remember seeing my other two uh, American teammates ahead of me in the scores. So I realized I didn't qualify. And... That was a, an extremely heartbreaking experience um, because, you know, you look back on, on the year before and I, had, I, had, I was the all-around world champion and I had put those expectations and standards on myself and everybody else was kind of watching to see if I could do it. And, and I felt like I had failed because I didn't live up to those expectations. And that was a really hard thing, especially considering I had to go on and compete a couple days later. Um, but I, I allowed myself to kind of feel the feelings and be disappointed and cry for about two hours. And then I remember, I think it was Allie, she came up into the room and said, hey, why don't you come downstairs and hang out with the team? And as soon as she said the word team, I realized, okay, that's what it's about now. 
it's no longer about me. I got to have my time to be sad and disappointed, and now it's about the team. And that's where all of my focus and all of my energy went towards um, the rest of the time I was in London. And that just totally fueled me. I mean, putting my putting my effort and all my focus on some, something other than myself really helped me get out of my own head. And, and doing it for someone else is always easier than doing it for yourself. So um, I remember during the team t competition, I just cheered for my teammates every free second that I could. I obviously went up and knew I had to hit my routines and do my job, but I did it for them. And I feel like that really helped me turn it around and figure out how to keep going after that, that horrible disappointment. Yeah, and obviously you had like an incredible, you had an incredible competition in the team final with, I mean, all of your, all three of your events were great, but for me, the floor routine just stands out. It's just like basically perfect. Like, what do you remember of that moment and like running off the floor and just that whole rotation, I guess, for the US? Before my floor routine started in team finals, I remember just feeling really determined. You know, that whole day I'd felt, you know, I want to do this for my team, but I also want to get, um, I also want to feel like I redeemed myself a little bit from, from the emotional state that I was in. Um, so before my floor routine, I was just dialed in. I was so focused. I just I had this feeling of, I know I'm going to hit this routine. And as soon as the music started and I, um, I was dancing and I landed my first pass, I threw my arms up and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that was a really good pass. And I was like, wait, I got to refocus. I still have a whole routine to do. And I remember feeling that little moment of, okay, I got to refocus. Um, but I just felt so much joy and so much, it was so much fun um, to just go out there because at that point I had done the work in the gym, I'd prepared and um, I just had to kind of set myself free and, and enjoy that moment and do it for my teammates and it was the best floor routine of my entire life and I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah, <clears throat> and so it's crazy to think that that was six years ago, but how do you think that like, not, I mean, it's like I said, it's hard to call it a disappointment, but it was for you, right? How do you think that has like, how do you think that moment kind of changed your life and what you still kind of take from it six mm -hmm. years later? I think it's true to say, you know, when we go through things in life that aren't exactly how we planned or how we wanted them to go, it's, it's hard in the moment to say, okay, this happened for a reason. But looking back six years later, I do think that that day happened for a reason, that disappointment. It, it, it put me in a direction in my life where I feel like I'm supposed to be exactly where I am now. So that's really cool to look back six years later. And um, I think having to pull myself together and, and serve my team and do the job for somebody else really helped me um, figure out that I wanted to come be a part of a college gymnastics team where the, the entire focus is on the team. You know, everybody has their individual routines and they have their own personal job to do, but it's the focus is on the team's success. And that's something that I feel um, really deep inside of my soul is I, I just feel like you know, it's, you, you, can, you can accomplish so much more as a part of a team than you can by yourself. And, and helping other people and leaning on other people, that's, that's an important lesson to learn. And, um, and I'm just so glad that I, that I went through that hard experience because it got me to where I am today. Yeah. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. Big shout out to Jordan. With her sister, refugee swimmer Yusra Mardini, helped people survive a terrible boat journey as they attempted to escape Syria. Both sisters dived into the sea and put their own bodies and lives on the line to help people in need. They survived, and Yusra continued swimming training once her family arrived in Germany and showed a lot of promise. She ended up going to the Olympic Games as part of the refugee team, 
There will be another refugee team at Tokyo 2020 and I was fortunate enough to speak to Yusra. I asked her if she'd been able to go back in the sea after everything that has happened. Olympic Channel Podcast. I've been back in the sea, but only on shore. I, until now, I didn't go like really deep with a boat or something. Uh, last summer, we wanted to go from Miami to the Bahamas with a boat, but I didn't because, yeah, I was afraid of the trip. When I think about the sea, I think how deep the sea is, first of all. Second of all, that there is stories and suffering and people were drowning there that we never knew about. So I find it really mysterious, everything that happened in the sea. And I find it, I just remember the people we lost in the sea. So I find it really sad. So let's talk a little bit about being a refugee. You yeah. kind of break the mold. I love your Instagram feed. And Thank you. we all do in the office, actually, to be honest. <laughs> but it's not, you know, your Instagram feed does not say refugee. How important do you think it is to have people breaking the mold about refugees? Yeah. So the thing is that I'm not a person who's gonna, you know, post the whole time about refugees and about what's happening, about negativity only. No. Um, I am doing a lot of work with UNHCR and I've been um, in Italy actually three weeks ago and I heard really hard stories. I am a refugee but I'm also a swimmer and I am one of the persons who are positive about being refugee. So uh, yeah, maybe I don't show a lot of pictures about people who are suffering and so on because I don't want to because I want to get more positive in the world. And um, those pictures, you see them every day on the news. So I don't want to make my Instagram also all about it, but they are still in my heart and I am seeing them and I'm talking to them and I'm going to them and hearing their stories. So I think this is better than posting on Instagram, right? With Syria, it's a complex situation and I'm sure it's a complex personal situation for you. How hopeful that uh, there can be a peace there in Syria? Well, I hope the war will be done oh, tomorrow, but uh, the problem is that it's not, and we no one knows when or why the war will, will end, but we just want it to end. We just want our peaceful country back. Have you still got family and friends, I guess, yes. in Syria? Yes, a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I used to work with a guy from Syria and it was just heartbreaking sometimes when you you know the, sometimes for me it's like it's just a place on a map and then when you had a guy it's you know how important is it for you to make sure that these this is a a human story and a human tragedy every day. It's super important because as you said for a lot of people it is just a country on a map and um it is for us really heartbreaking because, you know, every day I hear about bombing and then I call my friends and my family, are you okay? And then um, what I want to tell the people is that you should put yourself in our place, you know. Um, I, I don't hope that any country in the world will be in a war zone, but you have to understand also the people and what's happening. As example, for the, as a refugee, not a lot of people understand why we left our country. They think we are just 
want a better life, we want more money or, or you know, a villa or something. But that's not true. We flee violence. We just want a chance for our children or a chance for us not to be in a war every day and to have a better future because of the generation coming after us. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's it's hard to know what to to suggest, isn't it? It's like if you don't, if you need to speak about the things that are sad, but also it's like if you if people are just normal there, they have fun, they play, you know, like children play games there every day. You know, it's not it's not this. It's a tragedy, obviously, but people are just having normal lives there. I yeah, guess exactly, too, right? which is which is the sad thing that I, for example, for me, I I got to a point where. I, I told my mom, look, if I'm going to die in my outside, I'm going to die also in my home. So I'm not going to sit home. I'm going out with my friends. So imagine till where it became normal. Uh, we put on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when you were speaking just before the Rio games and you were talking about how there were bomb holes, like literally in the ceiling where yeah. you used to train in the, in the swimming pool. For, for me, I always feel really safe in the water. It's, it's kind of like quiet. I'm on my own. Yeah. Did you ever feel like that? Did you feel like safer when you were swimming? Yes, I did. Um, it, it, it was because, I mean, I'm not alone in the water. I have my team all the time, which is also nice. Um, swimming is one of the things that, you know, makes, makes my life better. Because when I go to the water, I don't think about who I'm going to be, who I am, uh, what do I have to do. I think about swimming and the gold medal that's all you know <laughs> so so it's really simple about swimming and yeah so I, I i i wish the world was like that but yeah it's not olympic, olympic channel, channel podcast thanks to yusra michael phelps is the most decorated olympian of all time you won't find anyone else on the planet with more olympic medals but Along with all the success came some mental health issues. Rachel Griffiths started off by asking him about how he managed to find his way despite his problems. Olympic Channel Podcast. It's taking care of yourself and taking care of what you need. Um, you know, that's what matters the most. Uh, you know, for me as of right now, you know, I, I'm not competing anymore, but I still find it very important for me to get up and... and to get my body going and to get a workout in because that's what I need. That's what helps me become a harder worker, a better father, a better friend. Um, so, you know, it, it's just taking care of what you need to. You know, I think that, you know, I, I think with so many distractions that we have in this world, it's kind of easy to, to, to semi get lost here and there in a way. And, and um, you know, I think if you're just focused on really what you're going after or what you're out there to do, um, and, and, and what you're really passionate about, uh, I, I think that's, that's something that, that will really help um, carry you to, to being successful. And, and as a term of their, uh, when you're talking about mental health, I mean, for me, the biggest thing that, that I was really able to learn, and, and um, I almost make a joke out of it sometimes in a way, it's, it's I learned to communicate. Um, you know, for me, I was somebody who compartmentalized so much over such a long period of time and, and, and to be able to, to kind of let out some of the stuff, uh, for me, it was just, um, almost really just a release. So, you know, being able to, to be open, to be honest and being your authentic self, um, you know, it took me a long time to find that, but, uh, it, it truly is just, um, 
incredible to just know that you're being yourself and you're being authentic and everything that you're doing, you're doing it because you want to and you have a passion for it. And, and you know, I think if you can have that, that's kind of the equation for success. And, and um, you know, nothing will stand in your way because your mind is such a powerful thing. And, and I guess to also understand that, um, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And, and also that, that you're not alone. No, you're not out there by yourself. Like there are people that, that are willing to help. And, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to ask that question, but, um, you know, it's, it's important to ask that question for help when you need it. You know, it's something that I struggled with and, and, you know, because I, I didn't want that fear of rejection and being shut down if they couldn't help me. You know, for, for me at that time, I couldn't handle that answer. Um, so it's, you know, just, kind of understanding that that there are people there that will help you and and there are people that want to see you succeed so just really um staying focused on you and 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 what you have to do i think is something that's so important what was that tipping point where you realized you should communicate you had to talk to somebody i mean for me it probably was um well i don't say it was too late but it, it was it was at the point where you know for me it was after I had my second DUI and, and I, I felt that I didn't want to be on this earth anymore and I didn't want to be alive. And, and you know, at that very moment for me, it was time to, to make a change and, and I had to be ready for that change. And that change caused me to become vulnerable. And that, and that word is a very scary word to a lot of people. So, um, you know, I had to force myself to go through a change that, that could be very scary. Um, but that change ended up being something that saved my life. Um, so, you know, for me, uh, I, I'm still going to have depression spells or thoughts where I have very extremely high anxiety. But for me, I understand that that, that makes me who I am. And, and you know, I, I'm comfortable in my own skin now. And, and um, you know, for me, I'm eager to be able to have that opportunity to move forward, to be able to grow, to be able to learn from the experiences that I have already had, and I'm sure I will have. Um, you know, I mean, it, depression isn't something that you have that you have once and it goes away. You know, it's something that could come back, and and you know, as long as you're as prepared as you can be when it comes back, you'll be able to make those steps forward, and you'll be able to make change, and you'll be able to make progress. Um, and, and trust me, because I, I, I found it, I've seen it, I've lived it. Um, so for me, it's, it's exciting to be able to talk about this, this part of my journey, because there are a lot of people out there that I know do struggle from the same exact things that I've struggled from. Olympic Channel Podcast. Now, imagine being on your own without your kids or family over the holidays. That's what happened to a man who once swam and won with Michael Phelps. His name, Cleet Keller. The swimmer won Olympic gold in 2004, and just a few years later, he was jobless and living in his car. He spent 10 months living in his car. Cleet is rebuilding his life and says the biggest lesson he learned was that life takes a bit of discipline. I spoke to him, and we joined this interview at the point when Cleet's sister has offered him a place to stay for a while. Olympic Channel Podcast. I went from hating everything and uh, hating the world and everybody in it to getting the the total opposite uh, welcoming and love and acceptance 
from family. And uh, my family was never too close to begin with, but me and my younger sister had always got a, gotten along well. And we actually went to the 04 Olympics together. Um, and uh, to have, and we had a fall, falling out there throughout the years. And, um, you know, to have her show that selfless behavior and act towards me was uh, really redeeming and uh, really put me in a place where uh, I was extremely grateful. And I, um, it, was, it was just very hard to accept it because I had been so used to living a certain lifestyle and not having to struggle. And then all of a sudden, probably the hardest struggle I've ever endured. And then having, you know, just somebody, somebody saving grace, reach out to me and help me in that way. It was, it was it really rekindled um, my faith in humanity, basically. <laughs> Even though I had put myself in the situation to begin with, uh, it was like, well, so this is, you know, this is real love. And this is, uh, I also felt very vulnerable. And uh, for someone to accept me in my uh, downtrodden, beat up state, was very humbling and uh, something I'm eternally grateful for. You're not living in your car now. <laughs> right. I can see yeah. that. <laughs> I was in the car for about 10 months. And, you know, funny enough, it was, I was really happy in the car. Um, <laughs> you know, everything got stripped down and I realized what I there's so much I don't need in life to be happy. <laughs> and I also realized I had such a, such a poor attitude in general. Like I had everything when I was married, I had beautiful kids, beautiful wife, beautiful home, all these resources. And I was still a whiny baby. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was depressed, but that was all because of, not working out, not eating right. There's all these factors that I could control that I didn't. And it wasn't until I lost everything that I could really see uh, where the blame lied. And I had tried to place blame everywhere, but with myself throughout um, the lead up to being homeless. And uh, once I was living in the car, all that became started to become clear to me over the months and years thereafter. And, uh, I realized that it all starts in the mind and, um, you know, there's, there's uh, a lot to be grateful for in life and it's very easy to get, um, oiled. Do you have that empowerment now you've had everything, you lost everything, but you know, that feels like, so you've got nothing to lose. Exactly. It's, it's been empowering in a way, losing everything because, uh, you know, before when I had the house and I had the family and everything, uh, I and I felt like I had a reputation to uphold, and uh, you know, I didn't I didn't want to risk uh, failure. There's that word again, because um, I felt like it would reflect poorly on myself and my character and my abilities. Um, but then once I lost everything, I said myself well i realized how foolish that notion or that thought process was to begin with to not 
risk everything. And I think also some ego tied in there. I just didn't want to look like a failure or look like I needed anybody. But once I lost it, I said, it, you know, it's just like a burden is lifted off, off my shoulders and uh, there really is nothing to lose. And so if someone tells me to buzz off, um, whereas before I would have really felt it personally, um, now it's, it's, it's no big deal. You know, I've, I've basically been told to buzz off by life. Uh, and, uh, you know, so really nothing can compare with that. Um, so it really puts things in perspective and I don't have, I don't have the fear I once did and yeah, I have nothing to lose. So just go out there and make it happen. And, um, I don't have the ego anymore either. I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to, you know, to approach people and be vulnerable, which is something you really have to be in order to be successful. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to uphold an image anymore. It's the stories out there, you know, people know I've been homeless and I'm not trying to, uh, put up a front. Have you had a look at the Olympic medals recently? I actually try not to. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to rest on my laurels. Really, um, life goes on, and the world goes on around you, and uh, and it moves quickly, and it'll leave you in the dust in no time. Um, so the only time I really bring out the medals is uh, when I'll do a, a clinic for a swim team, or if I'm showing them to kids. My parents have one of my medals. My ex has. Uh, three of them, and then I have my Beijing medal. And the Beijing medal is just so beat up. It's the uh, the ribbon is all tattered. It's got some permanent marker on it because um, from giving you know autographs at clinics, um, thousands of kids have put it on, and it's been dropped once or twice, so it's a little dinged up. Um, and even though it's probably my least favorite medal because I didn't earn it at finals. Um, it's also it holds a very special place because it was literally my meal ticket um, when I was living in my car. And for a while afterwards, um, you know, I bring it to clinics to show kids. And uh, that's how I got paid and was able to feed myself for a long time. So it's a very special medal. I have that one and uh, the rest, you know, other people enjoy. Um, but I, I try to keep my focus on the future and moving forward nowadays. So the Beijing medal came in some tough times when you were in the car then? Was there, was there a particular time that you, you got it out? I never really got it out to like look on it and reflect on like my past success or anything. Um, I just got it out when I needed to go to a clinic. Um, what I really leaned on was was the memories of what it of all the things that went into winning and earning that medal and the other ones as well. And I would think to myself, you know, you put yourself through a lot of pain and training and really came over some obstacles and training. And um, I would remember what it took to succeed in a race. And for me, it was detaching from the pressure of the moment and whatever other negative emotions uh, might be tied into, you know, standing behind the block. And I would try to apply that to my current situation at the moment. Um, so I did a lot of detaching during the years um, uh, where I was really struggling financially and uh, emotionally. 
uh, I would detach. That's probably the biggest thing swimming taught me was to go to my happy place. Don't think about the hard stuff that's about to ensue or the pain you're in. Um, you know, just just go to that go to that happy place and accomplish what you need to. And and for me, sometimes that was literally surviving the day because I was that low. Um, and uh, so I would detach from the moment, try to think of something positive or nothing at all. Actually, I didn't think of anything at all a lot of times, and that kind of got me through the really, really tough times where I was, you know, it'd be 10 at night and I couldn't sleep, and it was, you know, uh, a kid's birthday, one of my kids' birthday, or a holiday or something like that. Um, and that's where swimming really, really paid off was the ability to, to detach. I mean, missing your kids' birthdays and missing holidays, I can only imagine how horrible that must must feel. It was really tough. Uh, there were a lot of tears and just a lot of intense negative emotion. But I was prepared for that. You know, I guess the mental toughness kind of happened by default. Um, I had kind of uh, unwittingly built that up through years of swimming, you know, being able to to cope with pressure and uh, just being mentally tough. And for me, that was always relying on the work I had put in and not letting the moment get the better of me. Uh, so yeah, when it was when it was Christmas and I was by myself in a in a car, uh, uh, you know, I just kind of went back to it was the same sort of feeling once the initial wave of emotion passed through me it was it, I put myself like I was behind the blocks you know just totally uh in the in the zone but it was a different zone <laughs> Olympic Channel podcast Total respect for Cleet for telling his story. And indeed, to all of our guests. Remember, you can find all of these interviews in full on our feed. I will stick a few links in the episode description so you can find them very easily. We would absolutely love to know what you think about these stories. And the easiest way is giving a shout out to us on social media. If you look for Olympic Channel, you will find us. And if you have a look for Eddie Knowles with an I and an E, you will find me directly. Let's get 2019 started the right way with five-star reviews for the podcast on iTunes. In all seriousness, it would be amazing if you did on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe because this is just the beginning of an amazing year with loads more of inspirational stories. We are only just getting started. That's it for now, though. See you soon. Think like an Olympian. Olympian.